Now, I suppose you're accustomed to me saying, okay, open up to you the Gospel of Mark. Well, I'm not going to say that tonight. I'm going to change things up just a little bit because I believe that's the way the Lord led me this week as I was preparing for tonight. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke tonight. The Gospel of Luke. And so I'll share with you that in contemplating what the Lord might have me to study for tonight, I was going over some of the recent days of Charles Spurgeon's devotional morning and evening. And I came across one day that stuck out to me with a portion of one verse from Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, it's a portion of the account of Samson. Now, we all know Samson. We all know what Samson did, what he accomplished, and uh, how he lived. Well, after getting rather close with Delilah, some of the Philistine leadership bribed her to find out how to defeat him. For if you recall, he had just taken the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts that the doors were mounted upon, ripped them from their places and carried them away like it was nothing. What stood out to me, though, was the reference portion of the verse that he used and how he expounded upon it. Verse number 6 says, in part of Judges 16, This is Delilah speaking. She says, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth. And this was said as she began to entice Samson to annul or to render useless, if you will, the sanctification as a Nazarite unto God, right? If you recall that from the time Samson was born, he was sanctified to be a Nazarite unto God. Well, Spurgeon, in this particular devotional, then uses that portion of verse 6, that statement of Delilah, to relate this question. He wrote in the devotional, Where lies the secret strength of faith? And as I read through that day's devotional thoughts, I began considering. Considering some of the great contrasts of faith that we have been studying in the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you've been here, if you happen to recall, there were indeed some great demonstrations of faith that we have studied in the Gospel of Mark. They were recorded for us. If you recall, there was the four that bore the leprous man and led him down through a roof just to get to Jesus. There was the man in Gadara who was delivered from his demon possession, and he went on in faith to do exactly as Jesus told him. And what was that? To tell how great things the Lord hath done for him. And the next time Jesus came into that area, into Decapolis, into that area of Gadara, multitudes gathered immediately because I believe that one man did as God told him to do. If you recall, we studied Jairus and how his daughter was sick. We studied the woman that had the 12-year blood disorder that by faith only touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was cured of that disease. 
Or the Syrophoenician woman, if you recall, who, against all reasonable odds, obtained deliverance for her possessed daughter. And there were others, many great demonstrations of faith. But there were also, if you recall, some demonstrations of a lack of faith as well, primarily by those who should have been the strongest in their faith, the disciples. At least twice, already in the first half of the Gospel of Mark, at least twice, the disciples have cried out for fear of their lives in the middle of storms on the Sea of Galilee. Once, while Jesus was sleeping in the very same ship with them, Also, when Jesus fed the multitudes, the disciples had no concept of acting on faith. Jesus said, feed them. Jesus said, I have compassion on them. I want to feed them. The disciples had no idea how, no idea that they could just go forward in faith, trusting that the master just said, we're going to feed them. They demonstrated such a lack of of faith. Now perhaps, and this is pure speculation, and I don't want to offend anybody, but perhaps the disciples were too busy relishing in their apparent position with Christ. I'm a disciple. I'm walking with Christ. I'm walking with this man Jesus. And boy, he is a great teacher, and wow, I've seen him do some great things. And maybe they're just relishing in that fact that they're that close to him to, they're, they're too busy to apply themselves to understanding the very things that Jesus was teaching. Too wrapped up in the fact that I'm close to the Master. Rather than listening and heeding what he was saying. Though as we have seen recently with that thought in mind, we have seen recently as we study that Jesus was starting to amplify or to to ramp up, if you will, the application of his teachings. And it was manifesting in the disciples' lives through some real trials. So in our text tonight, Luke chapter 17. Find your way, if you would, to Luke chapter 17. If I hadn't mentioned that yet, we'll be looking at the first six verses. In our text tonight, it is verse number 6 that is the key. If we look, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1, Then said Jesus unto the disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. He goes on to say, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Verse 5 says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And here's our key in verse number 6. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should 
obey you. Now that verse number 6, I believe that that is our key and that verse really must cause us to consider the strength of our own faith. And as I was led by the Spirit to study this out, that's how I titled our message back there, Jack. If you want a title for tonight's message, is The Strength of Our Faith. Now, just a few thoughts to consider and to be reminded of tonight. How do we obtain faith in the first place? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us that faith does not occur naturally. It doesn't. We all know what Ephesians 2.8 says. God tells us, therefore, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, faith does not happen naturally. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 shows us that there is an author to our faith. And it says that Jesus is the very author And Ephesians said that that faith is given to us. Peter then goes on to write, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Before I mention that, don't you just have to love Peter? I love thinking about and reading about Peter and all the things that Peter experienced. Why? Well, looking at all of the impetuous mistakes that he made and seeing how the grace of God turned that into a powerful means through which Peter spoke and led thousands, thousands to accept Christ? I think think Peter gets the class award for the most improved disciple. What do you think? Absolutely. i got to love how Peter interacted and how God turned that into something positive. Anyway, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, Uh, Verses 17 and 18, Beware, he writes, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But, he says in verse 18, grow in grace and and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. So we've been given a measure of faith. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the author of that faith. But Peter tells us we need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, God gives us the measure of faith enough to understand who Jesus is and to accept him as our Savior. But we must grow that faith. Now, when you and I were, when you and I were young, just just little squirts. When we were young and tender, did you have enough strength and experience to, I don't know, pull the chairs out from the table so you could sit down to dinner? Maybe not. Did you have enough strength and experience to go and work on the cars when you were young and tender? No, probably not. You see, when we were young and tender, we only had enough strength to do childlike things. But as we grew, oh, didn't we gain some strength? And we gained some knowledge through trial and error and not giving up, right? Who who rode their bike perfectly the very first time they ever rode their bike? Uh, If you did, congratulations, because I did not. I had to try again and try again and fall and get hurt and get up and try again. 
But you see, through the trial and error and not giving up, we grew stronger and stronger. It's the same with our faith. Peter says we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If we're going to grow the faith, maybe we should add more of the word of God. So we can add to that and grow that faith. Well, now let me ask you this. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, who is it that is the manifest word of God? Doesn't the Gospel of John tell us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us? Jesus Christ is the very Word of God. We have the printed rendition of Jesus Christ in front of us tonight. So faith cometh and it groweth by gaining knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just exactly as Peter said. Now, I hope you caught what I said just a few seconds ago. As we grew from a young child, we gained strength and knowledge through trial and error and not giving up. So Peter wrote in his first letter, and he wrote to the scattered Christians of the area, he wrote, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And he goes on to say, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, that is, though your faith be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now that sounds, if I'm reading through that, and if I'm paying attention to what it says, that sounds like our faith is going to need to be very strong to survive the kind of trials that are inevitable especially in a world of lost sinners in which we live today. A world of lost sinners that are controlled, a world of lost sinners that are manipulated by the prince of this world. Who is that? That's Satan. Friends, Christians, we are going to have to have a faith that is strong enough to stand in the face of Satan himself manipulating and controlling all the world around us, all the lost sinners around us that don't want to hear the word of God. That's going to take a strong faith. So faith alone, faith alone, you know, faith alone, the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. Faith alone, just that little word faith might not be enough. It's very important and it's the foundation, but it might not be enough. I have a little illustration I was thinking about. I thought about bringing some, bringing some things in, but you'll get the idea. Who here has ever taken like a dowel or a little twig or a branch, a little thing just like that, and snapped it? 
Or maybe if you're out trying to clean up the yard after a storm, you see a little bit bigger twig and oh, you can't quite snap like that, so you snap right over your knee, right? And it just breaks, and it's wonderful. And you can go all day long snapping little twigs right up until you take a whole bunch of twigs together. And now they're a bundle of twigs, and now you can go, oh, now i got to go to the doctor because the twigs didn't break. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll be back here in a minute, but turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Follow along as I read with you, read for you and, and, and with you. Starting in verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, as I said before, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith. And I'm in First Peter. And didn't, didn't that sound great? That was wonderful, because I'm thinking to myself, I just pulled a pastor on you. And, um, but, uh, and if he's watching, that's okay. Maybe he's chuckling now. But Second Peter, that was great passage of Scripture. I was like, wow, that sounds really familiar. That's because I used it before. Second Peter chapter 1, let's try this again. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, and here's the key. This goes to the bundle of uh, twigs that I was just talking about. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now I know that if you have been a faithful Christian and you have been faithful to attending church, none of this is new to you necessarily. You've heard these things before. But I cannot help but think of those men, those disciples 
who spent so much time at Jesus' side, walking with him, learning from him, experiencing firsthand his demonstrated power over sin and sickness and death. And yet how many times did Jesus have to say to those disciples, O ye of little faith. Friends, we cannot afford to flounder with a weak faith. We need to take the biblical counsel seriously and add to that rod of faith, add the rods of virtue and knowledge and patience and all those things that we just read in Second, second Peter. Not first, but Second Peter. You see, all of those things that he talks about are extra twigs. Alone, they're, they're broken easily. But you add them all together. And I'm going to tell you, you have a bundle that is not easily broken. We must, as the book of Hebrews reads, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. But if we find that from time to time we do waver... First, spend some real time with our high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who has walked through life and death and has conquered both and serves as not only the author, but what does Hebrews 12 say? The finisher of our faith as well. Secondly, Hebrews goes on to say, let us consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, and assembling ourselves together, as the verse says, exhorting one another, and so much the more, because, friends, the day is approaching. Oh, yeah, so from our text about that mustard seed, right? We read the text, consider that mustard seed, if we had the faith, of a grain of mustard seed. Can I tell you, did you ever think about this, that Jesus Christ did not die and rise again for the mustard seed? And yet look what the mustard seed can do. Oh, friends, think about this. We have the very Son of God on our side. And if we would demonstrate even that much faith with Jesus Christ... Oh, the things that God will enable us to do. Now, if I think about that for just a minute, well, let me go on with this. I'll get to that in just a second. So the question is, if if we think about these things, where lies the secret strength of faith? As Spurgeon wrote, from that discourse about Samson, He applied it to us and said, where lies the secret source of faith? Well, it lies in the person and in the words and in the works of Jesus Christ. And he lives in each one of his children. As a child of God, does not the very Son of God, the very Spirit of God live in you? Yes. And he guides us into all truth. And he strengthens us. You see, it takes a strong faith to claim 
and to, as I said before, live out that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Oh, it takes a strong faith to be able to live that out in front of others. Now, as I said, we started with the account of Samson. So the question was, wherein, lie, uh, wherein lay his great strength? Well, it started with the commitment of his parents to raise him according to the word of the Lord. If you read that account in Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, it was Manoah, his father, and his mother who were visited, well, his mother specifically, who was visited by an angel from the Lord and said, this is what you'll do, because he shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And they committed themselves to live by that word of the Lord, to raise Samson by that word of the Lord. Wherein did Samson's strength lie? It started with the commitment that his parents made and living it out. So friends and Christians alike, the strength of our faith, it can and it will rival And in fact, our faith, the strength of our faith, will even exceed the great strength of Samson if we will also commit and follow through on that commitment to grow and to work and to live according to the word of the Lord. Amen? The strength of our faith. Oh, if we don't need a strong faith today. We need a strong faith to be able to stand when people say, how come your God let this happen? You know, as an aside, it wasn't any part of my notes, but I'm just, I've been thinking about this. When tragedy strikes, people are so quick to blame the very God that they don't believe exists. How does that make any sense? But you see, that's... Why did your God, well, my God didn't cause this to happen. He allowed it for a reason. I can't tell you why. I can't pretend to know what God does or why God does what he does, when he does it, the way he does it. All I know is that even through that, God is faithful. And if we will turn to him and be faithful to him, regardless of what happens... He will strengthen our faith and he will carry us through all of that and we'll come out the other side beautifully. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right. Amen. The strength of our faith. Well, 